Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. You're on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. It is Thursday, September 28th, here in the good old RVA, just after 1 p.m., which means it's time for the Richmond Commander. It's time for the Richmond Commander. Are you ready for the phones are open. It's your chance to be the quarterback of this segment. There's something I like to say. Every day at 1 p.m. on AWOD Radio, the Richmond Commander. 833-804-0910. The question of the day on the Richmond Commander is, what's it going to take for Washington to defeat the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday? 833-804-0910. 833 Call me crazy. Call me crazy, Stubb. Do it. I don't care. But I believe Washington should have been down 16-14 to 14 with the ball in the fourth quarter against the Buffalo Bills. That's how much of a delusional Skins fan I am. The problem is that was not reality. That was Fugazi. The reality was the team moved the ball into the red zone. Well, then they threw an interception. Well, then they moved the ball in the red zone again, and then they were stopped on fourth down. So instead of 16-14, to 14, in fact, the score was 16 to nothing. But I believe Washington was still in that game. Was still in that game. I don't think the score, the final score, 37-3, really uh, puts the whole game into focus. I, I think it, it skews it towards that fourth quarter there when the Bills um, got three straight touchdowns because the defense basically gave up when the offense turned the ball over one, two, three, four, five freaking times. I mentioned this all offseason. The number one thing that the enemy had to fix was the red zone efficiency. That was the most frustrating thing about Scott Turner's offense. I mean, you can call it basic, bland, vanilla. It was stupid. It was setting things up in the first quarter and then never going back to them. It was a bunch of running it on first and 10, which is driving people crazy. It was a bunch of you know trying to get cute on third and short. I had so many issues with Scott Turner's offense. But the biggest issue was red zone efficiency. Time after time after time, Carson Wentz. I mean, think back to Carson Wentz against the Titans last year. You know, four plays from the two-yard line, get in the end zone, you win. We lose the game. You think back to Taylor Heineke. What what was it, the game against the 49ers? Stuffed four times from the one-yard line? Red zone efficiency is how you win games in the National Football League. If you're not getting seven points, you're going to end up losing those games more often than not. That was the biggest difference between Buffalo and Washington. Buffalo got to the red zone, and then Josh Allen would run it in. I mean, the, the hole would open up. And my goodness, he would take advantage of that. That was the biggest difference between those two teams. Yes, the turnovers were the obvious story. But for me, it was all about the red zone efficiency. That's why Washington truly lost that game. If you score early, it's a different game in that second half if you have a couple touchdowns. If Sam's going to make mistakes, let's just have them all be that one game uh, against the Buffalo Bills. And hopefully he can bounce back. Stub, I'd love to hear from Jahan Dotson, who talked with reporters about coming off of a loss and how the team can bounce back. You think you could play that clip for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dotson was talking with reporters here after the loss. And look, you have to try to bounce back. And how do you bounce back? To me, you bounce back after a loss by coming together as a team. Offense, defense, and special teams coming together. Here's wide receiver Jahan Dotson about bouncing back from a loss. I would say first thing is coming off a loss like that is you want to forget it as fast as possible, but at the same time you don't want to forget it because you don't want to feel that feeling again. Uh, That's a terrible feeling, losing like that. 
Um, but you want to move past it. Uh, you want to fix everything, uh, get your corrections in, but you don't want to forget that feeling because uh, it's not a great feeling. You don't want to f- ever feel like that after a game. Uh, so that, we should just use that as motivation going into the big week. And I think they can use it as motivation because not only was that the first loss of the season, but it was the first loss of the Josh Harris era that well, was flying so high. I mean, everyone was so excited. Two weeks into the season, we're anointing Sam Howell as the next franchise quarterback. We're all calling him uh, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Well, he's been okay. 65 for 99, 671 yards. The problem is three touchdowns to five interceptions. And the turnover battle was the story of these two teams last season when Washington shocked the world and got the win. So that's what it's going to come down to again this weekend. Number one for me, when the Commanders get into the red zone, they've got to put seven points on the board. I, I truly think, especially early in the game, that's how you that's how you win games in the NFL. I really think that Bills game would have been so different if we had gotten in the end zone there in, instead of throwing that interception and then the other time where we were stuffed on fourth down. All right, so... Yes, red zone opportunities, got to take advantage of them. Second thing, got to win the turnover battle. I mean, if you're not winning the turnover battle, you have to have a defense that's going to play lights out and force a bunch of three and outs. Because turnovers are how you flip the field. The only other way to flip the field is a quick three and out and a decent punt return. Then it's going to come down to Washington's ability to run the dang ball. Brian Robinson so far this season, 47 carries, 216 yards, two touchdowns. Like I mentioned earlier, he's number one in the NFL with 16 first down rushes, meaning on like third and one, he gets the first down, you know, second and three, he gets the first down, that kind of thing. So that's going to be the key against this Eagles team here is you have to find a way to run when they're not expecting it. Like I said earlier, I think they should do some second and 10 runs. And that way, instead of facing a third and 10, where basically Sam Howell's going to be blitzed and end up with a sack, it's a third and five, which is a manageable third down situation in which you could possibly even run the ball again and set up a fourth and short and then do a QB sneak or do the tush push that the Eagles are going to do. The Eagles are going to try to win the game in the trenches at the line of scrimmage. It's going to come down to offenses, uh, Washington's offensive line against the Eagles defensive line and then flip it on the other side, the Eagles offensive line against Washington's defensive line. Whichever line can control the line of scrimmage that team is going to win this game. If, if you look at the box score afterwards and the Eagles won this game, I guarantee you they're going to have more rushing yards than the Commanders. It's going to be as simple as that. DeAndre Swift through two games. My goodness, 45 carries, 308 yards. Uh, nearly 90 more rushing yards than Brian Robinson Jr., and he's not even the only one getting the carries uh, for the Eagles. And, and this is a team that scored... 25 in their opening win against the Patriots. Now, I did say they were up 16-0 in that game, and the Patriots had a chance to win that game. So if we're looking at how to beat the Eagles, we should absolutely be looking at that Patriots game. Then they play Thursday night football against the Vikings. 34-28 your final score. I think that's deceiving. The Eagles were up by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and just typical Kirk Cousins, you know, uh, garbage time touchdown made it uh, a decent game. Uh, but then you look at that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I didn't think the Eagles' offense looked that great. Then you look at the box score. Well, they ran for 200 yards as a team. 130 from DeAndre Swift. Kenneth Gainwell can burn you on the ground. He had 43 yards. But the guy I'm circling on this game of who could destroy Washington is Jalen Hurts. 
Washington did not do a good enough job of containing the quarterback against the Buffalo Bills, and Jalen Hurts is a different animal than Josh Allen. He is a little more elusive, maybe not as strong and as fast, but he's quicker. All right, He's going to get from spot A to spot B quicker. He's going to be able to, he's a tinier guy, he's going to be able to hide behind of his offensive lineman, and then boom, pop out and be able to run the ball. Washington has to try to get to the quarterback, sack him, all right, and not allow Jalen Hurts to keep the play alive and then fire downfield or keep the play alive and then run for it himself. That's what he wants to do. I, if you look back to Jalen Hurts' career against Washington, he has crushed us on third down with his ability to keep the play alive, get around the outside. You know, this is this issue with containing the quarterbacks is not something that's just from last week. It's something from all of last season, too, and even the year before that, all right? You've got these four great pass rushers for Washington, but sometimes they do their own thing, or sometimes, you know, one of them gets such a good rush that the tackle's out of position, and then the guard didn't have a good enough rush, but now there's a huge gape, uh, a gaping hole for them to get through. We have to contain the quarterback. We have to contain Jalen Hurts. I'm so worried about that. That's that's what it's going to come down to. The Eagles are going to try to rush the ball with Swift and Gainwell, but it's going to be Hurts that's going to hurt the commanders. Because I look, I think you have to read into what Ron Rivera told the media, which was that the team got disappointed in the amount of third down conversions the Bills got early on, and it disrupted them late in the game. That's going to be what Jalen Hurts wants to do. Anytime it's third and he thinks he can pick it up with his legs, he's going to try to do that because keeping the chains moving and keeping the drive alive is the utmost important thing for the Eagles. And so if you're a Commanders fan, you have to say, hey, we've got a rush but we've got to be able to contain Jalen Hurts here. And and I think it's the same thing against the Bills. The game plan, you have to stop these first down runs. You know, James Cook, and I'll give him a lot of credit for the Bills. He was, you know, swifty. He was kind of, you know, jump-cutting past guys and getting four, five, six yards a pop. And we talked about it all week. If they're facing third and four, they're going to convert that 90% of the time. If it's third and 10, if it's third and nine, that's your opportunity to get the stop and get off the field. So when it comes to first down runs, we got to eat them up. I mean, I'm talking about Deron Payne getting a tackle for loss. I'm talking about Chase Young getting in the backfield and crushing DeAndre Swift. We've got to set up some of these second and 12s, you know, second and second and 10, second and nine, and then hopefully you get an incomplete pass and you take advantage of them on third down against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Philadelphia Eagles were 10 of 16 on third down. That's the kind of third down efficiency that wins you football games. That's what Washington has to stop. If you want to chime in, phone lines are open. It's 833-804-0910. 833-804-0910. we got a lot still to come on the program today. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, we'll catch up with my coworker Michael P. from MP on the mic at 2.30. Talk a little Virginia Tech at 2 p.m., but we'll go around the ACC and talk some who's with Frank Maloney next on The Fan. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new Sports Radio 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. So, of course, we'll be breaking down the Commanders against the Eagles throughout the show today. And uh, there's just so much going on in the sports world. I mean, I, I kind of want to spend a whole segment, Stub, talking about Taylor Swift 
and, and the fact that Michael Phillips thinks that she is more talented at her job than Travis Kelsey is at his. And I know we're all having fun about that, but he's the greatest tight end in the history of football. I mean, what is Taylor Swift in, in 20 years? There's going to be a new Taylor Swift. Like, there was a new Justin Bieber. Right? I don't know if there's a new Taylor Swift, man. Oh, are you a Swifty? I, are we just finding this out? I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a Swifty. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a light fan, but I, I don't think that I don't, I think Taylor Swift is a, a league above Justin Bieber. Ugh, God, I, I don't like, you know what? I became out on all Taylor Swift fans when I found out that they were wearing diapers to her concert. And that is so disgusting. And the rash that you probably got on your leg is not worth the three hours of screaming and watching her concert. So I am out on Swifties. That's probably why I don't have a girlfriend, because every girl in Richmond is also a Swifty. All right, joining us right now, though, on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, he's the voice of Who's Talking alongside Jim Hobgood. It's my good buddy, Frank Maloney. What's going on, Frank? Adam, good to be on the show with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So what's the biggest sports story on your mind right now? Well, I, I could talk about the fact that on October 9th, Who's Talking will uh, – broadcast its 500 show but uh you know right now i think uh in the acc you know there's some big games uh we're going to find out if nc state uh you know has the ability to contend um for the acc championship game they they host louisville at home this weekend and down in raleigh and that's a fascinating game louisville is favored by three and a half points uh Clemson is at Syracuse and only favored by a touchdown. Mm-hmm. If Clemson loses that game, will uh, Dabo Sweeney pull all his hair out? <laughs> and, uh, you know, UVA is traveling uh, in the next 24 hours or so up to Boston and Chestnut Hill to play Boston College. Boston College is favored by three. Here is the big opportunity for Tony Elliott and his staff and his team you know, to get, you know, the, the giant gorilla off their shoulder and uh, get a W this year and get back to just playing football instead of worrying about can we win a game. Um, Bowling Green is at Georgia Tech. Um, Notre Dame is at Duke. Huge game. Uh, believe it or not, Notre Dame is only favored by five and a half points. Um, I'm inclined to say take Duke and the points. I have a funny feeling that Riley Leonard is going to have the game of his life down there in Durham, and the crowd is going to go nuts. And don't be surprised if Riley Leonard is the star of the game and being interviewed post-game on the field as the Duke fans are going crazy. Well, I, I want to get to that game in a little bit here because it is the definitely the ACC game of the week, and, and I actually have the opposite view. After watching Notre Dame, I think they were robbed by Ohio State, and Hartman looked incredible. But uh, I do want to get your reaction to FSU defeating Clemson last week. Is FSU now the top dog in the ACC uh, for well, the future? Know, you know, it's fascinating. I think that um, Clemson did not hold serve, and – um, it came down to uh, really a uh, mistake. Clemson uh, was driving for the let's bury him score, and uh, there was a blown assignment, and the guard and tackle didn't communicate, and Alignman fired through the gap and hit Clemson's quarterback and caused the fumble, and they ran it back. Yeah. The game, the game changed on that one play, 
And, you know, the big dog, Clemson, had beaten Florida State seven times in a row. Think about that. And they couldn't hold serve on their home turf. They lost in overtime to uh, the Free Shoes U. And the Seminoles (laughs) are now in the driver's seat. Frank, I, I bet you don't know whose brother it was that made that play. It is Jalen Deloach's brother. Jalen Deloach Whoa. starred at VCU and won the A-10 championship. Now he'd be playing at Georgia. It was his brother. Wow. I believe his name is Kalen Deloach. Uh, that's, that family has so much uh, star power in their blood, and it's been fun to watch. But, yeah, no, Florida State made that big play and it changed the game. And I just never felt like Klubnik was comfortable, and I felt like he hasn't been comfortable all season long. But I do want to get to this UVA game against Boston College. Do you have any word on who the quarterback will be for the Hoos? You know what? Um, I think that that Coach Elliott is playing a cat-and-mouse game with the media. Yeah. Um, for the last three weeks, they've listed Musket as number one on the depth chart, and we all know who started the last three games. And uh, Calandria has really distinguished himself and shown me a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I think – I think Coach Elliott, because of what he said two and a half, three weeks ago about, you know, a starter can't lose their their position based on injury, that has put him in a tough place because now he's obligated to uh, start Musket. Now, it's probably easier if he's got to make a change during the game if he starts with the more veteran player and gives him a chance. But, you know, what if Musket at halftime is like, you know, five of 11 and two first downs? Yeah. Um, I think he pulls him and it's Calandria's team from that point forward. And Calandria has shown me that he has a ton of confidence. He has on-the-field moxie. He, he's creative. He's got excellent foot speed. His, his ability to stretch a play is significantly better than Tony Musket. Now, Musket has thrown more college passes in his life and has more experience and has won more games. No arguing that. So if Tony Musket is truly healthy and his shoulders well enough to take on a few collisions or hits or whatever, so be it. Uh, I, I hope he does fine. I mean, he's a, I've talked to him. I've interviewed him. He's a nice guy. And it was a gutsy move for him to come from Monmouth to Virginia yeah. And, you know, I wish him well, uh, but at the same time, um, Calandra will be the quarterback one day. Well, Frank, look, you look, you are certainly plugged into UVA, and I've been following this team here and, and trying to get plugged in since I started doing this show here, and I agree with you. I think Tony Elliott is playing games with the media, and I'm going to go as far to say that it could cost him his job because this is a UVA team that is now 0-4 and – Blew that game against James Madison. Should have defeated NC State. And I feel like they're hurting Calandria's confidence by not just saying that he's the starter. Like you, and I think most of the fan base would agree, we are pleasantly surprised with him every time he stepped on the field. I mean, there have been some unbelievable flashes where you feel like, wow, UVA might have a quarterback that they could build around in the future. But how can you build around this guy if you keep saying he's not the guy because you want to go with a guy that's a transfer that has only played in one game? game in college football here at UVA. And so, I, I don't know, Frank, am, am I crazy for saying this could cost Tony Elliott his job for playing games with the media this season? Well, you know, uh, 
you know what they say, uh, you know, you got to dance with the girl that brought you, right? So this is the, this is the quarterback musket that Elliott designated as his starter against Tennessee in a game in which, quite honestly, Virginia had no business flying out there and playing them. They, this team is a total rebuild, and uh, unfortunately, that, that contract, apparently they couldn't get out of it. But let's, let's face facts. Uh, in the weeks ahead, you know, uh, you've got teams like uh, uh, what, uh, William and Mary coming to Charlottesville, right? Um, you've got um, – I mean, you can't lose that game, Frank. But right now, no, I feel like UVA is going to lose that game. You know, you've got, uh, you've got this game, Boston College, William Mary. You've got you're traveling to North Carolina, which is going to be a tough game. Uh, you're traveling to Miami. That's also a tough team. Then you host Georgia Tech. So, really, Tony, Tony Elliott and his team and his staff, they've got to find a way to win in Chestnut Hill. They've got to come home and beat William Mary. Yeah. They've got to go to North Carolina and, and play tough. It's the oldest rivalry in the South. Then they've got to go to Miami, which is a tough place for Virginia to play. I mean, we've beaten them, what, twice in the last 15 years down there. Um Georgia Tech at home becomes a must-win game on November 4th. They travel to Louisville. That's not going to be easy. No. Uh, that's like a Thursday No, night. Frank, I, it's hard to pick a, a win on this schedule here, and I'm not hating on UVA. I've enjoyed watching this team. i watched every single game. I'm breaking it down. Uh, I'm watching the film, and I like what I saw from Calandria, and I like when they dump it off to the running back, and it gives you some spark there, and, and they've got some speedsters. Tony Elliott's got to show me more. He really does, man. I'm not. I'm not arguing necessarily that situation. He did inherit a very difficult situation, made worse by the shooting. So, to be fair to Coach Elliott, this is an unprecedentedly difficult scenario, and yes. I don't think his athletic director did him any favors by the way in which she um, failed to negotiate with. Bronco Mendenhall. Because no, but he was he was also handed Brennan Armstrong, and uh, you know, I, I yeah. still don't feel great about that. Well, the way it was, the way that was managed was disgraceful. Yeah, Brennan Armstrong carried the flag. Um, he stood up for the program. He took the heat after the losses last year, and to me, he he showed himself to be um, a young man with a lot of character and. I interviewed him on a number of occasions. He never blamed anybody. He didn't blame the new system. Uh, you know, he didn't point fingers. And um, quite honestly, um, you know, I, I think hat off, hats off to uh, Bernard Armstrong, an excellent young man. And uh, I do think Virginia should have beaten NC State. The entire team outplayed NC State except special teams. Um, I've said numerous times now this, this year that special teams was atrocious at Virginia. The punt coverage team is absolutely the worst. The kickoff coverage team is got to be one of the bottom 10 in the nation. And, you know, everybody talked about those penalties in the game. The truth is on that um, kick kickoff, you know, in the final seconds of the fourth quarter, you know, the NC state return man took it back 35 yards. If, if they hold them to a 15, 20-yard return, then they're not in almost immediate field goal range. You're right? You got me? Yeah, yeah I'm and with you. Defense, Frank, Frank, we got to run. 
Well, listen, I appreciate the time. And uh, the other game we didn't mention was uh, Pitt is at BPI, and Pitt is favored by two and a half points. And I think their coach is, is on a hotter seat, to tell you the truth. Their, uh, their fans complain to me all the time. I never bring it up. Believe me, it's, it it's not fun getting on UVA or Virginia Tech Twitter right now or any of the forums or anything like that. A lot of angry people in this fan base, and uh, it's hard to argue with them when, when they're struggling to win games. Frank, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for the hey, time. Hey, hey, last thing. We got yeah. Paul Collins and Shenard Newby coming on Who's Talking next week. Very cool. We're, uh, you know, this next Monday, and uh, those are great guests. It'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks so much. You're listening to AWOD Radio on The Fan. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Field, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Feels good to be back today, hosting my first show back here after I was out sick earlier this week. And and I'll tell you, Stubb, I, I was so sick on Sunday that I was trying to gamble on the NFL, and I lost all my bets. I did not hit one bet. I can't believe I thought the Commanders could cover the spread against the Bills. So I need to bring in a sports gambling expert to help me make my picks for tonight and this weekend. And that's why joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, it's my buddy Nick Ashu. What's going on, Nick? Oh, I'm good, man. Uh, it sounds like something's going around because I know a lot of people that have been sick recently, so I'm glad you're feeling better, buddy. Yep, yep. Uh, I'm back in it today. And uh, why don't we start with uh, Taylor Swift and Travis oh, Kelsey. Um, I hate dude, you so much. I mean, come on now. We have to talk <laughs> about it. Here, the question is this. is Who's better at their job? That's the question. Oh, it's still got to be Taylor Swift. Come on up. Taylor Swift is the Michael Jordan of, of music right now, and Travis Kelsey may be the best tight end, but he's you know, nowhere near the biggest star still in the NFL. This is crazy, man. Like, again, like, I, I understand the whole, like, it's Taylor Swift and everybody's going to get excited about it because whoever she dates, it's a huge deal. And, you know, it becomes a great song one day down the road that everybody loves. But, like, anybody that thinks that this is a real relationship is out of their mind. <laughs> like, this is, this is, a, this is a, like, a companionship of convenience right now for both of them. Travis Kelsey had his jersey sales go through the roof and, you know, all these Instagram followers and Taylor Swift's got an album coming out and, and everybody, I keep hearing this narrative too, where it's like, well, Taylor Swift doesn't need the NFL. Uh, yeah, she does. Cause she's crossing over into a whole other genre of people, a whole other demographic that isn't usually paying attention, at least a lot of people to her music and at least bare minimum, you know what they're doing? They're Googling her, maybe checking out some music. I guarantee you all this stuff helps. So for anybody to say, you know, Taylor Swift doesn't need any of this. She doesn't need the Super Bowl. How do you know she's not going to perform at the Super Bowl next year? How do you know that this doesn't help? In fact, I would guarantee you that next year, Taylor Swift is performing at the Super Bowl because she's going to be on <laughs> Sunday Night Football getting overly excited again, pretending that she's been dating Travis Kelsey for two years, and they're going to get her on camera and the, you know, in her box and sit next to Travis Kelsey's mom, and everybody's going to be like, there's Taylor Swift. Oh, look at her smile. You know, overly excited every time a play happens because she's got her people on the side saying, hey, you need to get excited as many times as possible. Camera's going to be on you. Get ready. Let's make sure we get this so it's all over the Internet. And then the NFL over the summer calls her people like, hey, so we really appreciate all that you've done for the NFL. How would you like to perform at the Super Bowl? We have the biggest audience that any TV show in the history of this country ever has. So, yes, it actually benefits her tremendously, and it benefits Travis Kelsey. You know what? If they end up getting married, awesome. Do I think that it's going to be that? No, I don't, because, my God, that little walk that they had after the – 
the game last week, walking down the hallway, it looked like they had just met for the first time. It looked like an arranged marriage, and it was super awkward. <laughs> here's, here's what I'll say. All right. Uh, I respect I respect the hell out of Taylor Swift. I, do, I don't think that she's the greater uh, at her job than, than Travis Kelsey. I, th- I don't think she's Aretha Franklin, Mariah Carey, Dolly Parton. Uh, she's great. Uh, she's not for me. I would take Katy Perry uh, well, every day well, let me, over her. Let me say, first thing, let, let me say this. You're, you're yes. comparing to past artists, and I'm talking about current artists now. I just said Katy Perry. Not all the time. Well, yeah, Katie, listen, I like Katy Perry, but Taylor Swift. I'm not even really a Taylor Swift fan. Like, I respect the success she has. I recognize how great of a performance she puts on. Her music, I don't seek it out. Like, if it's there, I'm like, eh, okay, but I don't seek it out. But, like, I couldn't put her over Katy Perry. I'm sorry. But I, I'm well, with you. I love Katy Perry. I'm with you. I love Katy Perry. But I'm just saying, I would not put Katy Perry over Taylor Swift. How the hell is this happening? How am I having this conversation with you right now? This is your fault. This is the Because worst. you took, God, you took her so over much. Travis Kelsey. When was the last time Taylor <laughs> Swift was tackled by a 350-pound man and still had to get into the end zone and fight forward for an extra yard? I'm on Team Kelsey well, all day. When, when was the last time Travis Kelsey got on stage and sang a hit song in front of 100,000 people, all right? You're sitting here talking about like they're training for these opposite careers. It's not even it's apples to oranges, you psycho. Hey, do we have <laughs> Christopher? Do we have the clip of Travis Kelsey when he said "You jabroni"? All right, because that was better than any song that she's ever sang. All right, Travis Kelsey <laughs> is the man, and I'm never going to say that Taylor Swift is better at her job than Kelsey when he's catching touchdown passes and the number one pick in fantasy as a tight end. That's unbelievable. All right, let's get to <laughs> let's get to the games uh, tonight. All right, Detroit at the Green Bay Packers. I have the Lions winning this game and covering the spread. What do you think? Yeah, I actually went the opposite way. I took the Packers' money line, but it's really close. Like, I wouldn't fault anybody for liking the Lions in this game, too. It really just depends on who's going to be have be more more healthy, right? Like, you got a lot of injuries. The left side of the line for the Packers is already out. That's a major, major problem. What I'm really concerned about, actually, for both teams, is the fact that neither quarterback's very good under pressure. In fact, let me rephrase that. They're both horrible under pressure. So that's, if, if you've got a banged-up offensive line on both sides of the football, I think you're going to be looking at more of a defensive battle. The big thing for me is the under in this. I actually I bet the under. I did take the Packers' money line, but that was also because I had a, had a nice little uh, profit boost, and you know there was a couple of bonuses that I used on it that made it a little more reasonable for me to take. But if I'm only going to bet one, whether it's side or total, I take the under in this game. And a lot of these short week Thursday night games, too, tend to fall in the under category, too. Just because these guys are out of the routine, it is a short week. Teams are banged up already. So, it, it, I mean, it looks like we're going to have Christian Watson in, which is a big deal for the Packers because what Jordan Love has been able to do so far this season with a depleted offensive line and a, a, really a lot of his top weapons out, whether it's Aaron Jones or it's Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs has still been banged up since the beginning of the season. Like he's, I, It's really been impressive what we've seen from Jordan Love. So, uh, to me, I like the Packers. I lean slightly Packers in this. But I definitely already bet the under, and I would tell people to, that that would be something I would be more comfortable in taking. Um, Dolphins at Bills. The over-under is sitting at 53.5. I would take the Ooh, yeah. over even if it got up to 68.5. I mean, I, I, I seriously <laughs> think this looks like a game that's going to be 35 to 33 or something like that. Uh, what's your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, listen, I know everybody's excited about what the Dolphins were able to do against a horrible Denver team, but, like, in reality, they're not going to put up 70 against this defense that you've got to deal with the Bills again. But, you know, the one thing that kind of concerns me a little bit about the Dolphins is, like, they're not that great defensively. I hear people say, you know, their defense isn't bad, but, you know, in reality, they're not good against the pass. This is a team that struggled. I think they're 21st against, uh, you know, against the pass right now and 
23rd in total defense. Throughout. Like, so for Miami, it's really about outscoring teams right now. Now, it doesn't mean that that defense can't get better, but we know what their bread and butter is, right? In the NFL, if you can score, you can certainly beat anybody. But the Bills' offense is it's changed from week one. You're watching a team that started to play hero ball early on against the Jets. It's like Josh Allen just thought, oh, well, it's Zach Wilson on the other side, so let's step on his throat. And in reality, it was just big mistake after big mistake going deep to, you know, Stephon Diggs, and he's double covered, and then you're throwing picks, and it's like, well, what are you doing? He started to do more of what Patrick Mahomes did early in his career, where teams were putting two high safeties deep down the field, taking away the deep shots. So he said, okay. I'm going to take what you're going to give me, and I'm going to have the intermediate passes, and I'm going to move the ball up the field that way. And that's what we're starting to see from Josh Allen since week one. Now, granted, what he did to our commanders was just it was just awful. I mean, I try to forget what happened last week, but we're watching two teams that were against inferior teams, right? The commanders, I'm sorry. Look, I'm really happy with the, the progress we're making in Washington, man, but that offensive line is an absolute joke right now. I don't think the Bills' defense is going to look that good, but it is a good defense. So we're watching two teams in the Dolphins and Bills coming off massive, just huge dominant wins. It's not going to look the same in this one. I like the over, but I don't know if I take the over all the way to 68. It's Nick Ashew with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow him on social media at Nick Ashew. Check him out on the Odyssey app, the host of BetMGM tonight that you can also hear right here on 910 The Fan. All right, so we're doing an Odyssey NFL Survivor Pool in our office here in Richmond. 21 participants. Nine were eliminated this weekend because of the Jags and a few other upsets. Who is Nick Ashew's mm-hmm. lock of the weekend? Well, listen, I mean, yeah, I would. if you're just talking straight-up wins, straight-up money line, straight-up Survivor, if you've got the 49ers available against the Cardinals, if you're looking to take one of the big teams, what I hate to do is like use the big, you know, Big, great teams early in the year, and I'd rather take them against a really good matchup later in the season. So I actually go – I'm not going to say this is a lock because I don't, definitely don't want to say that. If I'm saving teams like the 49ers and maybe the Chiefs in the matchups that they have, have, I don't trust the Titans at all, man. I actually think the Bengals and the way that their defense looked Monday night against the Rams and even on the road against the Titans who cannot throw the football whatsoever with Ryan Tannehill – uh, unless they're against a horrible defense. I actually think the Bengals went on the road at Tennessee. That's, the Bengals are two-and-a-half-point favorites now on the road. And, and quite frankly, I, I look at that and I just say, it, it, Joe Burrow can have another week of just nursing that calf and feeling a little bit better, and the offense can be capable. If the defense can look the way that it did against the Rams, the Bengals end up winning that game. And then you save some of your other matchups, some of your other better teams for later in the season. So not a lock, but if you're looking to try to take a little bit more of a risk because you want to save teams like the 49ers, who you'd expect to have an easy win over the Cardinals, despite what they did against the Cowboys last week. I'd lean Bengals, actually. No, I, I like that, and I have the Bengals available for sure, and I do want to save the 49ers. What are your thoughts on taking a risk and going with the Chargers against the Raiders? Look, this is a team here that offensively should have enough to get it done, uh, but I don't like the decision that their coach makes, either with timeouts that he calls here or when he goes for it on fourth <laughs> down. I, I don't really know if I can trust him. You're saying the Chargers you don't trust, or you're saying the Raiders you don't trust? I don't trust the Chargers, but I, I'm leaning them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's probably where I would go, too. I don't know what Jimmy Garoppolo's situation is going to be. It sounds like they expect him to play, but if you got Brian Hoyer out there, I mean, the Chargers can just uh, – the Chargers, we know how bad their defense is, right? Like, it's, it's, it's been a disaster, but it, it, it's not to the level of where Miami is either, and, you know, 23rd in total defense, 21st in points allowed and all that stuff, but – what you do have with the Chargers, at least, is you do have weapons that are out there, even with Mike Williams now done for the season. Uh, I, Justin Herbert, just like to me, 
if I'm in doubt, I look at the quarterback matchup. And this is the NFL, right? And the quarterback is always going to – whoever has the advantage of quarterback tends to have the advantage in a game, even when there's a really good defense on the other side of the field. So, yeah, I would lean certainly lean Chargers there too. And, like, the Raiders are still on the cusp right now. I actually bet them before the season. I may have said it to you on your show, but I, I bet them as a team to have the worst record in the NFL. There was a good price, so it was more about the value than anything else. But if things start to unravel with the Raiders, I just don't think Josh McDaniel is a good coach. So, on top of that, what if they decide to start selling this team off? Like, they're kind of in that spot right now. They go one and three. You're starting to look around going, is Devontae Adams going to ask out? Like, what's going to go on with Jimmy Garoppolo? Could he be hurt week by week? So, a lot of questions with the Raiders. I know the Chargers have their own issues, but, you know, out of those two teams, yeah, I would – I would definitely lean Chargers. It's kind of surprising they're five-and-a-half-point favorites against the Raiders right now, but, yeah, I'd go Chargers. Nick, great stuff, man. I appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Stubb over here trying to hijack the show. What is this, Taylor Swift right here? Is that is this the, that's, that skinny blonde chick that's dating the greatest NFL player of all time? Sure is. Is that who this is? Yep. You know what? She is just she's a, she's clout chasing right now. She knew that for the first time in NFL history, a tight end was drafted in the first or second round of fantasy football drafts around the world. And now she decides she wants to make him her boyfriend? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. All right? I'm sorry, pretty little girl. I already have a crush on Travis Kelsey. That's my guy. All right? You can't have him. You can have his brother with his fat beard, and he plays for the dumb Eagles. All right. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, talk a little commanders as they face off against the Philadelphia Eagles this Sunday. It's our buddy Kyle Roenick. What's going on, Kyle? Adam, what's going on, brother? It's a happy Thursday, isn't it? Absolutely, and we're hoping this team can bounce back Sunday. And to set up this segment here, I want to take—I want both of us to listen to Logan Thomas on how the team can bounce back Sunday against the Eagles. I mean, if you go back and really watch the game, yeah, we lost big, but it wasn't—it wasn't—it could—it was a lot closer than we could have made it. Like we had a lot of things where we left it out on the field. We we beat ourselves pretty good. Um, so, you know, all we got to do is go out there and execute our plays. Um, you know, I think we'll just we'll be just fine. And, uh, and obviously, it's a division game. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a hostile environment, so we're excited about it. And, Kyle, I started the show by saying today that it, if you really look back at the tape, I believe Washington had a chance to have the ball down 16-14 at the start of the fourth quarter if things had gone right. Instead, that wasn't the reality that we're facing. No, and I think you're right on par with that. In that fourth quarter, just everything just didn't materialize for anybody on that team, and it fell apart. But they battled their butts off. As much as they were giving up five turnovers in that football game, they only gave up 16 points. And I said it on our podcast last week that it, you for the, against the Bills' offense, if you could force a field goal, consider that a success. And the Eagle and the defense was able to do that for the most part against Josh Allen. But there were Adam. I knew that game. There was something up with that game after that first third down uh, when Josh Allen extended to the right and threw a perfect ball to Stephon Diggs to the sideline. I just knew that that that's the kind of day it was going to go. It was a bad start to the day, and that's inevitably that's what ended up happening. 
Right, and, and truly, our defense hadn't been tested. The Cardinals are lousy. Russell Wilson, and the, Russell Wilson hasn't been good in five years, and the Broncos got lucky to score as many points as they did in the first quarter there. Our defense was tested, and they were not ready to play scramble drill. Hopefully that's something they worked on all week because that's something the Eagles do quite a bit. Absolutely. I mean, this is the second-rated uh, offense in rushing yards with the Philadelphia Eagles, so you have to be able to come to party going against them. But that being said, Last week against the Bills, we did not use the five-man front with the three defensive tackles and the two defensive ends on each side, which we kind of have used and utilized like against the Broncos in the second half. That's something that we used. The last week against the Bills, it, was it wasn't used. And so I wonder if maybe that is going to be heavy this week, and I hope so because that is a very good offensive line by the Eagles. They can push guys out of the way. You don't want to allow them to be able to get up on that goal line and do that stupid package that they do. But that being said, we have the defensive line and the confidence to be able to do it. This is a football team that did it last year against a, a lot of turnover since then. I wouldn't say in the most positive direction. But that being said, they know this football team. They're geared towards it. And I think that using that five-man front that they didn't utilize last week against Buffalo is really going to help them be able to nullify that Philadelphia offense. And this is a 3-0 Philadelphia Eagles team that's first in the NFC East with 25-34 and 25 points uh, in the first three games, so you know they're going to score. So offensively for the Commanders, they've got to they've got to fix what their mistakes were last week. They've got to stop the turnovers. They've got to do a better job converting on third down. Uh, stop the pass rush from getting after Sam Howell. You know what was your take on? Uh, a lot of people were upset with Bieniemy's play calling. I didn't think it was as much on Bieniemy as much as I said that was Sam Howell's worst game, and it was I put it all on the quarterback. I'm not blaming the play calling at all. I think everybody has a blame, a piece of the pie, and according to blame, if we were gonna, if that's what we were cooking with, Awad, I don't think there's anybody who could sit back and say that they did their job on Sunday. Losing 37 to three in the National Football League should not be acceptable. But that being said, we didn't give up 70. But glad Ron Rivera didn't talk about Tua in any sense. But that being said, for this offense going against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are ranked 25th in the league on third down. But the Washington offense is ranked 31st in third down conversions percentage so far, Adam. That has to be corrected. They, and I think a lot of that has to do with those sacks that are taking, making it long downs and distances, really taking this offense out of their shell. And so I, what I want to do more than anything is be able to convert those third downs and keep Jalen Hurts and that Philadelphia offense on the sideline. We did a good job at that um, when we beat them last year in, at the link which we played really well at. I think offensively, third downs and red zone conversion percentage is going to be huge. Yeah. But like you said, the turnovers are not acceptable, especially five. You, you cannot beat anybody in this league generally by giving up the football five times. And then on the other side of that, they have Stephon Diggs, Josh Allen, and company. You're, you're, just, you're giving them dynamite at that point, and you don't want to do that in the future. Yeah, and look, it's going to come down to Washington's ability to stop the Eagles, uh, stop them, like you said, from rushing. You've got to force Jalen Hurts to face long third downs. And then I need our, our defensive line to play much better. And, and look, I, I want to get your take on this because I hate, and I, and I hate, I hate this, but I keep hearing it from Jack Del Rio. I heard it from Jonathan Allen this week on the Junkies. And they, all they say is, oh, we have four first-round picks. We don't need to blitz. We believe in each other. And I think that's just a bunch of baloney, all right? These guys might be incredible as a front four, but you need to send five. You need to send six. You need to switch it up a little bit here because the front four as a whole were terrible against the Bills in terms of staying in their gap. And because of that, Josh Allen was able to run through them. And so I want more five, six, and seven-man blitzes against the Eagles. 
Yeah, I think you're right on par with that. I think you're correct in wanting more of the blitzes, and that's why I kind of view with the five-man front. It allows you to go wider with your defensive ends, but it doesn't take away a defensive tackle from you. You still have your three interior guys. And from that breadth, you could really swallow uh, Jalen Hurts. We talked about in our pod, like with, with Josh Allen, you wanted to create a horseshoe of defenders and bodies around him so he doesn't have the ability to go side-by-side side or step up into the pocket or be able to escape upfield. Obviously, on that first drive, we saw them not have that gap integrity, right? They kind of gave that away. Josh Allen took advantage of it. And to your point, that cannot be the consistent basis. Jack, Jack DeRio has called some blitzes in the past couple games, and they just haven't gotten home. Uh, they did against, win against Josh Allen that big Gabe Davis touchdown. We had sent a blitz, and then we sent one against Denver last week that we, they destroyed us on. And so it, it's almost like, or is it better to send a blitz because it seems like we get killed for it? Or should we just sit back and say our four, regardless of what's happening, you've got to be able to get home. And I think adding an extra guy, to your point, in the middle there with that five-man front is going to be able to fix and nullify a lot of the pass rush and the rushing lane issues. All right, Kyle, before I let you go, I appreciate you joining the show. It's Kyle Roenick with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. Follow him on social media at the Burgundy Zone, uh, the Podfather. Love having him on the show. Usually uh, we get him on for a victory Monday, but here on a thirsty mm-hmm. Thursday. So, uh, Kyle, you know I do this segment every Friday. What are your keys to victory? I, I kind of already talked about it already. It's the third down conversions for either side of this football team for the defense. They were first in third down conversion percentage on defense last year. Right now, currently, they're ranked 20th. There has been a big regression in that regard, and that, can, that cannot be the case against the Philadelphia Eagles. You've got to be able to force Jalen Hurts off the field, and vice versa. You have to be able to extend the play, keep the time of possession in your favor, keep the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands, and then secondly, it's the big plays. Big plays have to be limited. We've seen the kind of big plays happen in kind of here and there, and that can be a huge difference in the game. Limiting the big plays, especially on defense, is a huge key for them. But last but not least is turnovers. They did a good job. Kendall got the interception last week, but being negative four in the turnover category cannot be acceptable in the, in the near future. It cannot be going forward. It cannot be a consistent expectation for this football team. And I, I wholeheartedly trust Eric Bieniemy and company in being able to get this team up and ready for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a big test. They're 3-0. and We're 2-1, and but we're the street killers, Awad. So I'm ready to make them. Uh, we're going to have a tie record by the end of the game. I hope I hope that happens, man. That's Kyle Rona, creator and host of the award-winning Burgundy Zone podcast that you can check out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, Adam. Yep, you're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. So we've been talking a lot of NFL. We're going to go around the ACC with Andy Bitter next on The Fan.